welcome everyone to another episode of Church Talks. I have yet another guest uh, that is not with me physically, but I'm pretty sure he is in Greensboro right now. And this is my friend, Jamie. And Jamie, how do you pronounce your last name? Dysart. Dysart. Dysart, yep. Now, if there are any listeners that have ever heard of another Dysart, send me a message and I'll give you 20 bucks. Because <laughs> <laughs> you are the only one that I have ever heard with that name. And I did not know how to pronounce it until just now. Yep. So, Jamie Dysart. Yep. Well, Jamie, um, how old are you? 35. And how do we know each other? Um, I came into... Greater Piedmont Adult and Teen Challenge, um, January 5th, 2022. And uh, my my second weekend here, you and Ministry in the Margins came, um, did praise and worship, and had some nachos afterwards, per usual. <laughs> um, and I just started a, started a friendship. Man, so so you were, you had only been there a week yep. when we came on that second weekend. Yep. Man, it's so cool. And now you are actually on staff at that Teen Challenge facility, right? That's right. Man, well, you know, I have tell people that I've been coming there um, since March of 2017. So, gosh, it's over, over six years now. And it is amazing how many of the guys that I have seen there from, you know, their first day, their first week, all the way through graduation. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of them, they stay on for – Reentry, which is you know where you're still there you still have some parameters and boundaries but they do give you more freedoms and you know you can have a job and you can start earning some money um but is that what you're doing now are you doing the re-entry um sort of that's that was my plan when i came here and um the lord worked it out to where instead of getting a regular job out in the community that um he actually placed me here working so with that happening I am in the re-entry program, but I'm also a little different being on staff. Yeah. Okay. Well, like one of my favorite things about you, because I mean, there's, there's such a, a huge list, uh, but you actually got me a birthday present <laughs> last year in October. So we, you know, the second Saturday, uh, you know, my, my birthday always falls around the second week. It's October 11th. And so I can't remember if it was actually on my birthday. I think it might have been a couple days. I can't remember. Anyway, but you knew that it was my birthday and you got me a Vans beanie. Yeah. And I love that thing. And I've worn it several times. And, you know, it's a little bit warm outside now, so I can't wear it. But, hey, come fall and wintertime, it's going back on my head. And thank you so much for doing that. Absolutely. After uh, after what you and the ministry did, especially when I was learning my walk with y'all coming every month and all, it meant a lot to me. So it's the least I could do. Well, I appreciate that for real. And something that that I wish that I had more of an opportunity to do, like when I'm there with you guys, is to hear more of your stories. Because, you know, when we come, you know, we're there just to to really just bring an atmosphere of, of worship and hope and freedom. And, you know, and I feel like we accomplished that. <laughs> like Absolutely. when all of us get together, I mean, it, it gets, it gets pretty wild in there sometimes, Absolutely. you know, and, and there are like, you know, I don't know, certain instances where some of you guys will be able to, to speak up and share like what God's been showing you this week or, you know, something lately, but the, 
benefit of me having you on the podcast is that I actually get to learn more about the depth and the background of your story. Right. And I would, I'm excited for my listeners to hear about this, even as I'm hearing a lot of it for the first time. But, uh, but for anybody who does not know, um, Greater Piedmont Adult and Teen Challenge is in Greensboro. It is a men's uh, Christ-centered addiction recovery program. It's residential. Uh, I believe it's is it a seven-month program yep. with option to go longer. Yeah, so the seven months is in the program, and then after is when you have the option for reentry. Okay. Yeah, and so I've seen – I don't even – I don't have a count of how many guys that I've seen uh, graduate. And I actually plan on coming to the graduation tomorrow. I don't know if I told you that. But, uh, but we got a couple of the guys graduating tomorrow, and I'm excited that my schedule allows for me to be there. But I'm very proud of you, Jamie. Let me just say that first off. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you, were not, you, you were not like unkind <laughs> when I met you the first time. But I think I, I can say freely that you have only grown and matured in your kindness and in your generosity and just you're, just, you're very thoughtful. And, you know, what you're doing there to bring to the guys from your own personal experience. And then also, you know, just with being in leadership, being like having some more responsibilities. I know that it's impacting them that are coming up behind you. I hope so. <laughs> so, um, all right. So I'm going to quit talking for a little bit because I want people to know your story. So I want you to, um, you know, to give maybe two or three minutes of kind of like how you were raised in you know, your upbringing and then we'll get into kind of more of like where things kind of went crazy and then how now like there's so much more hope in your future. All right. So uh, I was born in a, a small farming community in eastern North Carolina called Williamston. Uh, most people have never even heard of it. I was born into a, a loving family, but my mom was 16 years old when she had me and my biological father left before I was born. So I never really knew him, but my mom being so young, you know, she'd still live with her parents, my grandparents. Uh, so they pretty much took took care of raising me. Uh, it was a loving family. You know, there wasn't any abuse. There wasn't, you know, there's hardships. Um, we were rich by no means, but I mean, we didn't go without. Mm -hmm. uh, I also, my grandfather was a deacon in church. You know, my grandma's in church. So I grew up knowing about religion but I didn't really understand so much the relationship with Christ. Um, so growing up till on um, the end of middle school, you know, I was on a roll principals list, getting A's. Um, once I got to middle school, that's kind of when, when things started taking a different turn. In middle school? Uh, yeah. Eighth grade. Yeah. Yep. So you were probably what? 13 years old, 13, 14. And that was, I I'm trying to think. So you're, how old are you now? 35? 35. Yeah. And so half your life ago or a little more than half your life ago, you know, we didn't have, we didn't have social media and uh, a lot of the, the luxuries that kids have these days. And so what does, what does a 13 year old in whatever, would that be like the year 2000? Um, 2000, 2001. Yeah. Okay, so what is a 13-year-old in year 2000 or 2001, what does it look like to, like for you said, to, uh, to start getting a little out of hand? Well, being as it's a small town, you know, there's never a lot to do. 
And most of us grew up, you know, fishing, doing things outdoors. And all my friends' dads, you know, they always drank beer. And we would we would smell them smoking. We were we were aware of what marijuana was at the time. So, you know, getting into that age where we could really start going to the river by ourselves and, you know, getting out on our own, not really having to be accompanied by our parents, we mm-hmm. kind of started uh, imitating what we saw them doing. Yeah. Uh, and these these are people that you looked up to as as role models. Absolutely. I mean, you know, for them at that point in my life, it, it looked like a fun thing. You know, the guy getting together with the guys, drinking a beer, catching a fish. Those were all really enticing points of it. Mm-hmm. I just had no clue uh, the lifestyle that came with it. Yeah. Well, I, I just heard somebody say yesterday that, you know, a lot of the things that um, that look enticing and that look fun in the moment, like Satan or, you know, however people want to, to acknowledge, I mean, the enemy and there's an adversary that is obviously, I mean, there's good versus evil in the, in the world, no matter how you look at it. But, you know, the enemy does not show the consequences of what seems like the fun and popular thing to do. Right. And so just, yeah, just like you said, I mean, cause you didn't know what was going to come on with that. So like for you, like what, what did it start off that seemed innocent? And then where did it go from there? So I, I would say my first interaction with any kind of mind altering substance was, was drinking beer, um, which quickly led to uh, using marijuana. And, you know, the enemy gives us counterfeits of everything that God gives us. Uh, we look for love in women. We look for peace by relaxing our minds. And it's all a counterfeit of what God can really provide. So when I when I started using marijuana, you know, again, that enticing, that, that counterfeit peace for a time in life, I thought it was actually helping me. You know, I would I would kind of lose a little bit of that anxiety and not be so worried and and caught up with what was happening around me. So I felt like it was freeing when I started. Yeah. That uh, that quickly, by the time I was 16, I was using uh, powdered cocaine, you know, skipping school. I let my grades fall. Um, the next 20 years from from 15 to 34 was was the addiction plagued years, you know, in and out of prison, in and out of rehab, in and out of jail. Uh, failed relationships failed jobs. I couldn't hold anything, anything, a job relationship. None of it was steady. It was all ever changing. And I was just looking back now, I see that I was just chasing and chasing to fill a hole inside of me that I didn't even know I had because Satan had filled it. He was giving me a counterfeit. So I thought I was filling it. Meanwhile, the hole was just getting bigger and bigger. Wow. So I did not know that you had served time in prison and that you had been to multiple rehabs and recovery centers. Yeah. So you said from 15 until 34, which is basically last year when you, when you got the team challenge, yep. that is a long time. What is that? 19 years. Yep. I mean, I know people who are 19 years old and to think that that is how long their entire life is how long that you basically, I mean, would you say that, that you felt like you didn't have control? I know I didn't have control. 
Um, not even, not only did I not have control, I didn't want to have control. I think I found a sense of peace and feeling like that was out of my control. Actually, it gave me justification for why things were happening to me and why I was doing what I was doing. I could just go result back to, well, I can't, I can't control this thing. You know, that's, that is a very interesting perspective. And I like, I, I can see like instances in my own life where I'm like, you know, that makes a lot of sense because <laughs> there've been times that I did not want to be in control and I've done stupid things to try to feel like that as well. And it, it is, it's, it's, it's refreshing to feel like that I have, you know, I can't blame myself. I can blame a, blame a substance. Exactly. And you know, I, gosh, I get that. And so how many different like recovery centers or rehabs had you gone to before you got the team challenge? Well, I started off um, actually 17 years old. I had gotten arrested twice. Uh, after my second time, my parents, my uncle came here to Greater Piedmont Teen Challenge in 1994 and then went on to Pennsylvania to the big one. So when I was 17 in 2005, I just like I said, after my second arrest, we ended up getting me into that. And I did 13 months of Teen Challenge, but I still didn't didn't acknowledge a relationship with the Lord. I had a few feel good moments, but I didn't surrender mm-hmm. things. You know, I hadn't hit a bottom yet. So I did the 13 months of teen challenge then. And I've been to probably five other secular rehabs, been to prison three times, been to jail more times than I could count. Jeez. And every time I actually, it's weird. It's looking back now at this time, because every other time while I was there, the entire time I was there, all I could think was, man, I can't wait to get out of here and get high again. Yeah. And that's sick. I mean, what you you see, you're, you're living, being in those situations, you're living in the results of those choices. And how sick is it to want to go right back to that? The dog returning to his vomit, you know? Hmm. And I let, I actually let that depress me even further. The enemy really knew what he was doing. Cause I would, I would overthink that. And it would depress me more and make me use more. When I'd use more, it's a it's a terrible cycle. So did you did you have people in your life that knew that? I mean, obviously, people know if you if you go to prison or if you go to rehab or, you know. But but when you're not doing those things and you're just at home, you're working. Um, did people around you know that this was serious? Like this was affecting your life so terribly? I think most of them knew. Um, my uncle, they know, like I said, he came here in 94. He also battled off and on for years. So especially my family knew knew how it was affecting me and that it wasn't going to stop until I, I found that thing. I think a lot of my friends, uh, I tried to put on a show. You know, I tried to be the, the happy guy. I tried to make everybody laugh. You know, I think – I don't think they thought it was as serious – as it was, I think for them, you know, the way they looked at it was I just found myself wrong place, wrong time kind of situation. Mm-hmm. But in fact, that wasn't the case at all. But I, I did my very best to hide it from them because, again, I didn't want that help. I wanted a reason. Right. So, you know, when I think about people and, and I think I've told you, you know, the, the story with with my brother and, um, you know, the drug use and the drug abuse that um, that preceded us losing him. And I wonder it was like, with me, what, what could I have said or done 
to have prevented like him from doing that. And if you back, like, can you think of, you know, well, if somebody had done this, like if somebody had told me this, if I had seen this, then it would have been a wake up call for me. Like, is there anything or did it, did it literally just have to be that you had to hit rock bottom? It, it had to be bottom. There's, there's nothing that anybody could have done or said. Um, if I hadn't hit that bottom, if I hadn't have lost my uncle and, and dove to the point where I was not far from suicide myself, if that hadn't have happened, I wouldn't have been here and I wouldn't have felt such a need to chase the love of God. Hmm. There's a Stephen Furtick message I really liked and uh, it's titled, It Had to Happen. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's life changing if you ever get a chance to listen to it. Oh, I've I've heard it many times. It's <laughs> it's part of a uh, it's part of like a trilogy. Yeah. That you know, but they weren't back to back weeks. I think they were actually like like a year apart. Yeah, they were. <laughs> the, they were spread. I think it was like it will happen. Um, it will happen. It had to happen. Oh, and the last one is I'm glad it happened. Yep. And yeah, those are those are transformative. Absolutely. Messages, dude. I have so many questions for you and I don't even know this is the pros and the cons of not having questions laid out when I interview my guests, because it's just like, you know, you're telling me your story and I'm thinking of, I can't put myself in your shoes. Like there's no way I could do that. Right. But we can all, whoever's listening to this, we can all put ourselves in the shoes that like we are all searching for something that's going to bring about lasting satisfaction. Like, and we will look for that in so many ways uh, and in so many different things and in people. And I know for you, you know, from what you've said that it was, it was literally, it was coming to rock bottom and then it was finding that Jesus is, is someone to have a relationship with, not just something to, to use or abuse to kind of get you out of trouble (laughs) or like to bail you out of jail or something like that. But, you know, I want you to tell me like in in your, in your own words, what's the difference between how you were raised to believe in God and then what is now like how you see your relationship with God? Oh man. (laughs) Well, I'll, I'll start that by saying that I was raised in a, um, free will Baptist church. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> that says a lot. Yeah. So, you know, and, and not to down any denomination, but there wasn't a lot of enthusiasm, I guess we'll say yeah. in the church. Um, I guess looking at it now, I feel like, I feel like at that time I looked at it as more of a chore, something that, something that I had to do or, you know, something to, to stay out of hell um, versus and it's, it's real simple that that now there's there's two things now that I see are different. And that's the joy and the peace. I, I remember vividly the first day, you know, I had had my little experience with the Lord and I felt like he spoke to me when I was in quarantine by myself. And that's when it, I really started deciding I was going to try to seek a relationship with the Lord. Cause that just let me know, you know, he, I wasn't too far. He hadn't given up on me, mm-hmm. but a short time after that, I was outside one day working. It was right at the end of the day. 
And I don't know why I even thought about it, but I was like, you know what? I've been at peace all day. I haven't been anxious about home. I haven't been nervous. I haven't been depressed. I haven't been angry. I, I have felt good all day. And when I had that realization, that just started me off and running. I was like, you know, I want this. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if any the best way to put it into words, but if you've lived that life of chaos, depression, anxiety, even just even if it's not severe, even if it's just everyday stress, once you walk in peace with the Lord, man, it'll set a fire. <laughs> you know, I, I said earlier that there's something that we can all like, I guess, relate with, and that's the the searching and the longing for lasting satisfaction. And I think that could also be translated to peace. Absolutely. Like something, yeah, something that really does like just satisfy our heart is peace. That's right. And I don't know of, of anybody personally that just experiences peace every day, like true peace. I think sometimes, you know, we get so distracted and with our jobs and our families and everything that's going on that, like you said, like it goes back to to chaos, even if it's not with with drugs or something that's going to like alter your mind. But like, honestly, our our jobs can alter our minds, you know, our relationships can. And so I I love that you said that, because when you walk in peace, like, like, what does that feel like? What are what are some emotions that you can just, you know, put some vocabulary to that. Oh, man. Love, love for others. More importantly, a love for myself. Mm-hmm. That's for- so good. Forgiveness. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't I don't even really know how to put that into words. It's just, you know, in Philippians 4, 6, it talks about a peace that surpasses all understanding. And, and that's what it is. I mean. I don't know how I can verbally describe that piece. And it's, it's weird because we live in a day now where being upset or being, being angry, being all these negative, all these negative emotions has been romanticized to where people think it's, it's cool to be depressed. Like, you know, (laughs) we, we make jokes on it. We call it the sad boy club or whatever, you know, it's, Honestly, it's frightening that that people want that in their lives. Mm-hmm. But at, but at the same time, before I felt the love of Christ, that's what I was doing for twenty years. Yeah, I mean the the darkness of of depression literally can start to feel like comfortable. Yeah. Like it, it it will it will feel like that that is the norm. It will feel like that is home. And that even the the idea of having joy again and and laughing and having this this lightness, like uh, like <laughs> I think about like our eyes. Like sometimes I can I can look at people and I can see that they're tired, they're discouraged, they're depressed. I can see all that in their eyes. And on the contrary, I can see when someone is full of hope and you know full of zeal and passion. And it's encouraging to me, like to hear you say that, you know, it is frightening that it's like the cool thing to be depressed. But if you know, and I know how, how dark and deep and destructive and deadly and all of these other D words that it can be, it makes us want to like 
jerk people out of those pits, <laughs> you know, but when we were in the pit, if somebody tried to jerk me out, I would have probably punched them or like <laughs> kicked them in the nuts. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, what does that, what does that look like when, when we're experiencing peace, we're experiencing joy, we're walking in love and forgiveness and, and kindness. And then we see people that are still in those like pits of depression. What does that look like for us to, in some way, like encourage them to get out of that depression? So that's one of my, my favorite parts of, about this. I mean, of course, you know, a lot of what I'm doing here is to maintain, to maintain my sobriety and build my walk with the Lord. But I also love to help the other guys. And, you know, when you see them come in broken and, and like you say, that look in their eyes and not just in the program, just, you know, people in general out in the public. Mm-hmm. When, when you share something with them or, you know, do an act, a random act of kindness, those little things, when you when you see them smile, it's like even for a moment, you, you're aware that they recognize that there's more than what they're living in. That there's a reason, there's a reason to climb out of that pit. Seeing that hope, seeing that hope in them is is a beautiful thing. It really is. And I like I still battle with depression and I've been very honest about that. Like when I come to teen challenge on those Saturdays and sometimes I, I cannot like decipher the difference between what is like clinical depression that like, I really don't have control over and that like, you know, if it's a chemical imbalance in the brain or, you know, whatever it is, like there are some people who are literally clinically depressed and they need medication, they need therapy, you know, whatever that is. But then there's also something that I do believe that is a choice that we have control over. Um, and sometimes I, I can't find like where that line is, but I mean, do you agree that there's, that there's two things or do you think that it's all one or the other? Uh, I absolutely agree that it, it's two things. Um, and I, you know, we, we're all going to have struggles. I mean, the Bible tells us it's not going to be easy that we will face the trials and the persecutions, but it's for me on my end, being an addict, I have to, I have to knowingly take control of the situation myself. As far as, you know, the medical, the clinically depressed, Hey, look, God put doctors here too. So if you need medication, whatever is going to get you better than being in that dark place, then by all means, Mm-hmm. For myself and for many others being addicts, that's something we can't do. I personally can't. If if I go to the doctor and I tar- start taking medications for it, it won't be long before I'm abusing medications and, and right back on the same road again. Yeah. But I have to be consciously aware of that when I'm in those bad times and when I get that feeling, I have to I literally sit here and tell myself, all right, you know, suck it up. You got you got to deal with this. And I pray for those who who can't. I mean, I, I understand it's 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 a battle. I don't think we'll ever have an ultimate answer for it because even even in Christ, you know, like I said, there's there's gonna be days. It's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of it's a matter of a personal basis, I guess, on on how to handle that. Because I'm absolutely not against medication. I just know for me personally. 
that's a no no. <laughs> I get it. Um, I have I've lived with and worked with and been friends with uh, lots of recovering addicts, and it is a it is a different way of life it that is. that that we have to live. And I say we because even though I've never been addicted to drugs, there's so many things that that we can be addicted to that are just as destructive. <laughs> like, you know, we can be addicted to, to likes, um, you know, whether it's like, you know, I just want to be liked. I want to have so many likes on my social media or, you know, whatever that it's like, I crave it. Um, I'm checking it every day, whatever it is. I mean, it could be our, our appearance, our, you know, our body weight. Um, you know, those can be like addictions to where like literally it takes control from us. Like we give it control basically. So the way that, that we have to live is differently than somebody who has never experienced addiction. Absolutely. And one thing I love about the way teen challenge does things. And I think this is, you know, this is with most recoveries and, and, and rehabs. Uh, obviously the difference between teen challenge and something like AA or NA is Jesus is the higher power um, unashamedly. And I just, I love that there is so much discipline like in the daily routines because it, it, it does something. It literally will rewire the brain um, from, you know, from the feeling of like the cravings of like needing the next high, the next fix. And then also just, I mean, sometimes we can just get, <laughs> get beside ourselves and get lazy, but the discipline that you guys have in your schedule is huge for um like depression as well because sometimes if we get in the slumps and we're just feeling the lows of whatever mood we're in we can't wait on motivation to get us up right the the discipline the schedule is still there so tell me tell me a little bit of like what the discipline has done to help you with addiction and with depression i'd say mainly um it made me okay with doing things that I don't want to do or doing things okay. the, the way I don't want to do. Um, and that's what I tell some of the guys now, you know, yeah, these are, some of these rules are silly, dumb rules, but you learn now to deal with them in a way you're sober, respectful, all these things, the ways you're dealing with it now is, is it becomes a learned behavior. So that afterwards, after Teen Challenge, when your boss or, you know, you get pulled over in a cop, this you may not like the situation, but you learn to be okay with dealing with it, sober and respectful, looking at it in a new light instead of a such a negative situation. Because in the long run, most of the time it's something that's going to help you anyway or going to grow from it at least. Yeah. I think uh, I think the biggest thing for me personally, other than than you know being okay doing the things, it teaches me to recognize recognize my, my emotions more. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's something I uh, that's something I spent a lot of time trying to avoid, and now, you know, after going through the program, having those moments of discipline and all. Whereas, you know, when I started, something would happen. I feel such and such and such. So I react such and such and such. And now I can react calmly and respectfully and then 
go through the emotions about the situation. That's so good. One thing that, that they kind of teach us, you know, going through the program and I've come to realize a lot in my spiritual life, my own personal walk is my feelings don't matter. Feelings are, feelings are made up, if you will. I mean, when a situation arises, you got two choices, you know, deal with it or run from it. So it's, it's all about, I choose now to deal with it and I choose to deal with it in a proper way, positive way. Hmm. So how would you um, differentiate feelings from emotions? Huh? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm asking that because, you know, you said that the feelings don't matter and they're made up, you know, but, but we do have just a huge array of emotions that God has given us. Like, obviously there's, we can be angry and sad and we can be happy and um, moody, like whatever it is. So what is the difference between emotions and feelings? I would say, you know, emotions, emotions are valid. Um, You know, we, we get angry, we get happy, we get, you know, whatever it may be. Whereas I would say feelings, I guess what I should say is the way you feel about it. You know, you could, you could lose your pet dog and your emotion is obviously going to be sad, but is your feelings going to be, well, that sucks. Everything bad happens to me. You know, why did my dog have to die? (laughs) <laughs> to me, that's more of the feelings versus the the emotion of being upset. Okay. I gotcha. Well, so we're gonna be like landing this plane here okay. <laughs> in the next in the next couple of minutes. But I do want to talk about something that I noticed on uh, on your Facebook is that you have been given opportunities to speak at churches and to um, you know just to use your story at different platforms to speak to groups of people. Um, are those like places in your hometown? Yes, they are. Um, so most of the time when you see uh, one of the church things or something like that, that'll be actually at home. You know, uh, as far as when I share my testimony while I'm out with Teen Challenge or something like that, I don't usually, uh, I may put something about there up there on uh, my Facebook, you know, like, hey, I got a chance with the guys or whatever. But if there's a, a video or, or if I'm, you know, really talking about it, then that's something going on most of the time in my hometown. Yeah, I saw that. And I was like, how cool is that? That, you know, like you said, you're from a small town and I'm sure that, you know, everybody knew your business because oh, yeah. especially if you're, if you're in and out of jail like that, like it doesn't take long for everybody to, to know <laughs> what's going on. But how encouraging is it for like, man, for people to see that, that you are, a completely new creation. Like you have had a 180 degree transformation in your life. And now you're able to like (laughs) to encourage people and hopefully, you know, to talk to, to young people that are, they could be in eighth grade, you know, more 13 year olds, just like you were. And just like you were looking to people to be a positive role model. And they didn't, they didn't intentionally try to sway you to, do destructive things that would then turn into a lifestyle of destructive habits, you know, but it's like, we don't realize how much influence we have on a day-to-day basis. And so you're able now to be that role model that you needed. 
and to encourage like these teenagers that are coming up. So, I mean, have you had instances where like young people, like you, you've been able to speak specifically to young people? Uh, I actually did. Um, you know, the, the first time I shared my testimony when I went home was that Baptist church I was talking about. And, uh, <laughs> to actually see a couple people stand up was was a whole thing in its own. That's um, so cool. But after that, you know, several several people had messaged me or reached out, um, wanting me to come to other local churches, which, you know, I didn't grow up in the church, but they still know me. Matter of fact, they knew so much about me, they knew things that I didn't know, <laughs> um, you know, in the small town. Wow. This, this last one that I did, uh, that was the pastor's big thing was having um, a younger crowd there. Um, mm-hmm. And we actually had two young ladies that came to the front that night and decided to follow Christ. So that's awesome. You know, the ride back from, from home to Greensboro, thinking about that was, it was emotional, man. Cause I've never would have pictured myself in that position. Um, neither would anybody else, to be honest with you. It's I just, bet it's just a it's blessings beyond compare. It's so much more. Even even six months ago, you know, or eight months ago, when I graduated the program and decided to stay here, I knew I was in a good place with the Lord, but I still would have never believed where He was going to be taking me. And I can't wait to see what's next, dude. And that that's going to be probably the the last question that I ask you. And I was just thinking that, you know, you didn't expect to, you know, be in a place where you could speak and, and somebody would respond with, you know, literally an eternal, (laughs) eternally positive decision. um, Like the, you know, like those two girls did to follow Christ. And I don't know if you've ever considered, considered yourself to be a public speaker and there are so many people listening that don't, you know, they're like, oh, I could never speak in front of people. I'm, you know, I'm too nervous. I'm too shy, whatever. But like, just like you just said, like our voice matters. And when we actually get outside of our feelings, like we were saying, and feeling like we don't have anything worth saying or feeling like we're scared or feeling like we don't, we won't have all the right words. If it was just one person or even if nobody even came up, like, I, like, like you said, you know, if nobody like showed outwardly that they actually got what you were saying, but you still planted that seed in their life. It's so worth it. It is so worth it. So I want to encourage everybody listening to take a bold step to be honest with your story. And hopefully, hopefully it will be in a, in a, in a realm like where people can actually um, listen and respond and you can actually see the encouragement of it. Cause just like it did for you, Jamie, it encouraged your heart like it refreshed you driving back home or driving back from home, I should say. It, it was, uh, it was one thing when I decided to follow Christ myself, but leading others to Christ and showing what he's done in my life. Uh-huh. I think that's where I'll call for the great commission. And I think that has been the most rewarding thing of all is to let others hear my story and uh, hopefully, hopefully they can learn a little bit about uh, addiction and coming to the Lord through that. Totally. Totally. And you're doing a fantastic job. 
Thank you. So, uh, so what's, what's next? Like what's on the, on the one year plan? So what are you working towards right now that, um, that can either be in the next year or, I mean, I don't know where you see yourself in five years or 10 years, but what's in front of you right now? That, that has been up in the air. Um, and I learned real quickly not to put expectations or time limits on God. Yeah. I thought, uh, I thought I was going to be gone from here before I finished the program. Definitely when I graduated, you know, then I graduated, I'm like three months, I'm, I'm, I'm still here. So I'm not sure on the time frame of things, but I think next after this is going to be some sort of, some sort of schooling as far as getting deeper into the ministry. Um, you know, we can do what we can do here, but without, I guess you would say credentials, there, there's some limits. Uh, and I want to, I want to push past those limits. I'm not sure exactly what area of ministry, you know, how it may, it, whether it's, it's uh, building things or whatever it may be. I want to continue to tell people about what God can and will do. Absolutely. And you will literally be able to do that regardless of like where you go. That's right. Or what you do. Like there's always going to be people. And that's, I mean, that's the heartbeat of God is people. Like he wants relationship with all of his kids. And sometimes people just need somebody like us, somebody like me, somebody like you to just remind them that, hey, God's not mad at you. (laughs) Like he's pulled us out of a whole lot of pits. (laughs) Like, Like we've done a whole lot of stupid things and God still loves us and he still redeems us and restores us. And you're going to get that opportunity more and more and more and more times that I mean, you can't even fathom. It's, it's going to be awesome. It's insane even getting there. You know, it's like after the last church uh, testimony at home, I thought I was going to be done for a little while. And then I was blessed with this opportunity. And I want to tell you, I really appreciate the chance to do this and uh, making the easy as possible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's me. I just want to simplify things. Easy breezy. I did not give you a list of, questions nope. <laughs> before a lot of my guests they do ask me that in advance like you know can i have can i have a list can i have topics and i'm like nope because <laughs> i don't know what's gonna happen but i've got just a couple of like rapid fire questions here to to wrap up the episode you go with that <laughs> yeah i'm good with that <laughs> all right what is your favorite food and your least favorite food my favorite food would be fried catfish and my least favorite food Oh, God. Meatloaf. (laughs) Okay. Um, What is your Enneagram number? A four. Okay. Uh, How do you like your steak cooked? Medium rare. Me too. Um, What's the last thing that made you cry? Um, You asking me to do this today. What? Happy tears. Oh. (laughs) That's so sweet. Well, I don't even want to like answer another, ask another question after that. So we're going to end on that one because that just made my heart smile and I really don't want to cry on this episode. So <laughs> It's all right. I'm a four. I cry all the time. Right. Oh my gosh. That's so beautiful. Well, Jamie, I love you so much and I appreciate your willingness to be on here um, and just your, your willingness to, to do the hard things that you're doing every day. Like every day has its own challenges. Um, like in your own life and in your own recovery. 
And then of course, like where you're working and, you know, dealing with everybody else and their own recovery journeys, like what you're doing matters and it's worth it. And I appreciate you. Absolutely. It's not always easy, but it's worth it. Oh, I don't, I would probably venture to say it's, it's rarely easy. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be better. That would be better. Well, is there anything else that you want to say that we haven't already covered? Um, let's see. As I say, first Corinthians nine twenty two to the week I became as weak so that I might win the week. I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be partaker with you. That's it. Mm. Powerful. Powerful. And what a way to end, man. Well, thank you again. And thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Church Talks. Bye. Bye. Hey, before you guys leave and start listening to another episode of Church Talks, could you take 10 or 15 seconds and just go on Spotify, Apple, wherever you're listening and click follow or subscribe or like or the plus sign, whatever it is where you're listening. Uh, That would mean a ton to me. And that way you'll never miss episodes when they're coming out on the weekends. Thank you so much, as always, for listening and supporting and subscribing and following. I love you guys so much.